The Gerontological Society of America, Advancing Innovation in Aging. GSA on Aging. I'm Howard Dagenholtz, social media editor of The Gerontologist, a bi-monthly publication of the Gerontological Society of America. I've always been skeptical about using robots as a therapeutic tool. It always seemed to me that there are lots of pets and animals uh, up for adoption all the time, and that using robots or toys when you could have a real animal or real uh, cat or dog would provide superior experience and would also allow otherwise unwanted and unhomed pets to have a, a, a job. So when I saw an article about uh, the use of uh, therapeutic robots in nursing homes, I came at it from the perspective of, well, you know, why shouldn't we be putting uh, resources into helping dogs and cats that are otherwise in shelters have an opportunity to interact with people. So I interviewed Wendy Moyle about her research, which uh, just came out in The Gerontologist, and had a really wonderful and interesting conversation with her. And I'm persuaded. I'm persuaded. I think that her research and and what's a very exciting is that there's a whole trove of research coming out in The Gerontologist on this topic. I think it really shows the way forward to how we can make better environments for older people and also shows the shortcoming of my own thoughts on this matter. So, uh, Wendy, I saw your paper in The Gerontologist. She had a smile on her face. And I thought it looked very interesting and I wanted to talk to you about it. So, can you tell me what got you interested in in uh, using this uh, therapeutic robot? Um, quite some time ago, Howard, and really it, it happened because I happened to start seeing uh, different types of robots being used and or kept in uh, nursing homes and not being used. And when I asked people, you know, or staff, I guess, why they, why they had them, why they purchased them, it really seemed to be that there was an interest that no one really knew how to use them. Mm-hmm. And there seemed to be an interest that people really weren't certain about the effectiveness of them. So we started, oh, I, think we, I think we published our first paper in 2013, which was a, a small trial of using the social robots called Paro. And um, I was actually surprised by the results. So we went forward and managed, luckily, in this very difficult climate to get um, quite a substantial amount of money from our Australian National Health and Medical Research Council. And so we investigated this use of the robot in a a large, very rigorous scaled um, trial. So, Wendy, so so it sounds like you observed that some people, some nursing facilities had purchased these robots but were not using them or not using them consistently. Were those places also working with pet therapy as well? Yes. In in Australia, I would say probably about 99% of the nursing homes have a dog. And often that dog is either a resident dog or it's brought in by um, staff and and it's left there for the day. 
Um, I always had a lot of concern about pet therapy, and mainly because the um, there's quite strong evidence that shows that they get very stressed. And in Australia, there's uh, actually vets who are saying, you know, we shouldn't be using live pet therapy in nursing homes really? because the, the animals. So in our nursing homes in Australia, they're quite large. Um, large being probably the smallest is 80 beds mm -hmm. and they'll go up to about 250. Dogs tend to be one person master and they like, like to go towards one one person and yes. um, you have a dog and you have 80, 100 people you know, vying for its attention, it really doesn't know where to go. And what you'll see is they get quite um, fat because staff um, and also residents feed them under the table, etc. And so they don't get as much exercise. They also have been known to, um, you know, run and knock uh, res elderly residents over and cause a fractured neck of their femur. So there is some problems. They take staff away from resident care to go out and hygiene them or to toilet them. So while they, they may be lovely, not everyone also likes them. So, you know, it's some people are scared of dogs or, you know, like dogs. So, so they do have some problems. So sure. I always, I guess I've always worked in the area of technology. So this did, did interest me as an alternative as well. That's very interesting. So I, um, I guess I always imagine that interactions with a uh, a therapy dog or even a cat would be um, um, facilitated uh, but what you're describing sort of sounds like the animal is free reign in the facility so, so there are some facilitated sessions where for example um, organizations may be asked to bring in an animal so it could be I don't know it could be sheep or rabbits or something like that yeah in those sorts of sessions it is facilitated in that people come in bring them they might show them in a sort of show and tell and you know allow people to have them for a set amount of time the resident dogs tend to be just as they would at home, uh, walk around, do what they want to, yeah. um, go to whoever they want to. So, yeah, so it's, it's, it's probably slightly different. There are some um, dogs from the Blind Society, for example, that will come in and they're facilitated. And really, it's a two-way process of the dogs getting used to being among people and the people are getting used to the dog. Yes. But, on the whole, most of the dogs are really there for the idea is that they're making it a home-like environment. So, you know, let's bring a dog in. I have a question for you about the Paro. Um, mm -hmm. Couple questions. One is that it it seems like it's very expensive, and oh, it's very very expensive. So, um, um, my question no, about that is. Uh, is boy could you have the same results with a commercial toy like a furby yeah so with um so the large trial we did we compared the effectiveness of the paro so very expensive it's about eight and a half thousand dollars in australia for one yes we compared it to um a paro with 
without the robotic features, so it looked exactly right. the same, but didn't do any of the movements, any of the um, robotic aspects. Oh, and then I we compared it to usual care. Sorry. Yes. Oh, I have a question for you about the control version. Yes. Um, yes. yes. Was it was it stiff, or was it like a like a soft stuffed animal? Like a soft stuffed animal. So, so okay. Paras is 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 um, it's you know firm, but it is like a large soft animal. I guess it weighs about two point seven kilos. People would say it's about the size of a newborn baby, but it's a bit longer than that. Okay. Um, but you can, you know, uh, uh, hold it and cuddle it, etc. Yes. And what what we found in 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 the trial is that the pyro was more effective than the um, the what we call plush toys, yes. so the pyro without the robotics, but it wasn't significantly more effective. Right. So basically the, the recommendation we made was certainly if you have the funds and can get hold of the funds, then the power is probably the better way to go. But if you can't, then you probably could just um, use a, 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 a companion animal or stuffed toy, for example. But the cost is very interesting, uh, Howard. I was always concerned, you know, who can afford $8,500 for this small robot? And yeah. what we also did is looked at the cost effectiveness of the robot, the, the plush toy and also usual care. And what we found out was quite interesting. It wasn't as expensive as what it appeared. So it was very uh, durable. We had very few incidences of it actually breaking or any problems. The main problems we had was with one woman who had severe frontal temporal dementia and she used to throw it across the room. Mm -hmm. It broke a couple of noses and, and a, a, a paw. But um, on the whole, it was, was very uh, easily maintained. So we looked at the cost of the maintenance, etc. And it could be left with people and it could be shared by people. So as long as a rigorous routine, was infection control routine was followed. So when we put this all in, in terms of a health economic analysis, and that's certainly not my area, we had an a economic analysis a health economist on the team and she basically found that the Paro, even though it was more expensive than the plush toy, it came out actually cheaper than, mo than all other non-pharmacological interventions. Hmm. So the cost of any uh, non-pharmacological intervention is expensive. The main cost of them tends to be that they're facilitated. So if you take into account the, um, the staff involvement, etc., it makes them expensive. So on the whole, I guess what we're, what we're suggesting is that, you know, it's probably not a good idea just to think this is $8,500, it's far too expensive. You need to think about how it would be used, how long it could be used, or what its impact would have, for example, on change in medications or reduction in staff time. And that's particularly the case if you have people, for example, who are constantly ringing bells, calling out. If this would calm them, that will also reduce staff time and it will make staff feel much more favoured towards that um, resident who's quite difficult to manage. What is the most surprising or unexpected 
finding that you've had in working with this? Um, for me, I think it's been that there's no gender uh, difference. Um, so I tended to imagine that, you know, if, if it, that woman would be more likely to, uh, you know, enjoy having something that was soft and cuddly, but we, ha we haven't found that at all, is that there seems to be no gender, gender difference. You know, men like Pyro equally. There are people who don't like it and there are people who just adore it and want to um, keep using it. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, there's a lot of men who have, who have pets and not just dogs, or, but cats and soft, cuddly pets. So it doesn't surprise me too much that the uh, tactile aspect of it would not be gendered. Mm. But perhaps it's the uh, the nurturing or caregiving uh, component to it that is was was unexpected. Well, I think um, you know there's always in any of the work that that we do there's always um, family involvement. Some families get very concerned that we're um, you know we're giving one of their family members something that might make them look like they're a child rather than um, you know an adult so there's always that concern but interesting in this study um, I, I make an assumption it was the way that we introduced the study to Australia we did a lot of um, I guess media releases we did a lot of talks with um, facilities so a lot of people got to know the sort of work we were doing and when we put out for interest um, we had no problems in recruitment which is usually the opposite if you ask any researcher they'll they'll tell you the struggles of, of recruitment in this study we had absolutely none whereas in other studies for example we've just recently finished a, a study looking at the effect of dolls and that was incredibly difficult because families didn't want their, their family member to be given a doll because that was that's what you do with children, you don't do with adults. And no one would allow a male to be involved in the study. That's There's a lot of attitudinal you know, <laughs> issues here. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I was thinking about that because um, that's not uncommon uh, to see with... Uh, advanced Alzheimer's uh, patients to have a doll or be attracted to holding a doll and and one and there are certainly dolls that have animatronic features to them uh, uh, but I think your article really brings out something interesting about this particular toy which is that it looks like an animal but it doesn't look like a common pet, right? And and you seem to have found that that's a, an important aspect of this particular uh, toy, and it sounds like that's also relevant for family as much as the patients. Absolutely. So if you, you know, if we introduced a a, you know, a robotic dog. People would know, you know, that it, usually that it was a dog, and they might associate it with, you know, their their dog, or they might associate it with a dog that they don't like and have concerns about. 
Whereas this is a very neutral animal. So when you look at it, I mean, I don't think any Australians or probably Americans either, I'm not certain, have had pet seals, baby <laughs> seals. And so when we introduce it, uh, you know, we tell um, the people involved, you know, that this is a robotic seal. So we don't hide the fact that it's not a real live animal, etc. But it's very interesting to see the way that people react. It's almost like a discovery process. So they look at it, uh, wonder what it's going to do, and then, of course, if they speak or um, touch it at all, because of the sensors that are, that are built into the robot, it automatically starts to either look at them or move towards their voice or interact with them in some way. So it's this interactive process that it has that helps people to engage with it. And I know when I first started um, getting these robots, I brought one home just to, um, you know, I guess, see, see what it was like and what I could do with it. And I have two uh, older sons and a husband. And I was very interested that, you know, they sort of looked at it first and said, oh, you know, what a stupid thing. <laughs> it doesn't take people very long to actually start interacting with it. I see all sorts of people, you know, who I know even my pro-vice chancellor used to make comments about it. And then, but give it to him, you certainly see. I guess it's like this article, she had a smile on face as white as a great Australian mm -hmm. bite. That's what tends to happen with people when you actually give it. It's very cute. It's like a, it's like a newborn baby in terms of, you know, most of us like newborn babies and you know coo and gar over them and i think the same thing happens with this as well it's that sort of internal nurturing effect it has also so it's very interesting so you're saying that um i'm assuming that your chancellor is cognitively normal and he enjoyed using it as well <laughs> yes. yes i'm saying that you know i mean um, if i uh, bring it up Group. So last week I spoke to a group of psychiatric interns. So, you know, none of them I'm sure were cognitively um, impaired in any way. And um, <laughs> when I brought the pyro out, I gave a talk on BPSD. And after the talk, when I brought the pyro out, just to see those people interacting with it, passing it around, and looking at the way they interact. It seems to have the same effect no matter you know who you are or what you do. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. Well, Wendy, I want to wrap up this conversation because uh, I know that we can keep talking, but um, it's been very nice talking with you, and I want to thank you for taking the time to talk about your research. You're welcome, Howard. So what I want to talk to you about today, Mom, is what do you think about giving people with dementia, like in a nursing home or assisted living, a robot pet to play with? I saw something about this in the Times, I think. There was an article about it, but I didn't read it. Um, I I think it's a terrific idea. It depends upon how the robo-pet is programmed to interact with the person that it's assigned to or however it's going to be done. So this one, 
what it does is if you talk to it, it responds. The sounds that it makes are just pleasant cooing sounds. Mm-hmm. A cooing sound, would a cooing sound be recognizable to, to, to somebody who is, is using this as a comfort animal or, a, you know, interactive yeah, it's interesting. It, it's designed to look like a like a baby seal. You see the picture, right? right? Does it, oh, 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 okay. Okay, so you want it to have a sound like that. It's not supposed to remind you of your long-lost dog. It's supposed to be a pleasant thing that you hold. I, I, I have a question about that. If you're dealing with a patient with dementia or even, uh, you know, even farther along than that, why would you not want it to say somebody who would have trouble recognizing uh, a family member or an object that they're familiar with? Why would you not want the comfort robo animal to look and sound like a real animal? That's a good I mean, question. how many people have baby seals? As opposed to how many people have dogs. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that the designers chose an animal like this that's not something that people have familiarity with simply because not everybody has a cat or a dog or owned a cat or a dog. Instead of being a reminder of something that was familiar, it's designed to be something that's simply pleasant. We have to start with the premise that I am not an animal person. Um, if I had a live, if somebody brought me a live puppy or a live cat, uh, I would probably not be very happy with it, uh, because I'm not necessarily a lover of animals, and I would not look to an animal for comfort. But that's me. So I have, you know, I have questions that go past having a, a, a comfort animal brought to me and in, enjoying the the interaction with it for, you know, for a period of time. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I would want one. So today you wouldn't want that. But we're not talking about you today. We're talking about... Okay. Somebody who is fairly severely demented. So, okay. so what do you think about Uncle Alan, for example? Do you think that um, he would respond to something like this, or how he would respond? I don't know because he did not grow up with with pets. I, I think that's something that. You you have to keep in mind. I I don't know how he would react, um, because as I say, in all our growing up years, you know, we lived in the same house with the same set of of circumstances. Um, he never looked for a pet, and I certainly never did, because it it was just not in our in our purview that we would have pets. It doesn't so much matter what a person's history was or relationship with animals because uh-huh. where they are today 
in terms of their memory and uh, ability to interact with the world is very, very different from who they were and who they were growing mm-hmm. up. So the okay. the kind of uh, experience that people have on a, on a day-to-day basis is very much in terms of like what's in front of them. And it's tactile, and it's okay. emotional, okay. Yeah, I, and uh-huh. you know what I mean. And and I think you saw this as as Uncle Alan was progressing that it was less and less about um, about you know his work and his career and his family, and more about what he was eating and what he was wearing and where he was sitting. But I don't know if he would be uh, if. if if someone, you know, if you or Margie brought him a, a comfort animal or somebody from a from facility would bring a comfort animal to him, uh, how he would react, he might. He might have a positive reaction to it, you know, and want to stroke, stroke it and, you know, uh, nuzzle it and whatever. But I'm not sure because I, I don't know what his reaction is to new people and new new experiences. So for me, that's... A, and having never had a pet, it makes it a little bit more... that much harder to, to uh, drill down to how he would react to it. It's possible that he would have a very positive reaction. Um, this is a very cute little guy. Isn't it very cute? He, she... You might want to put a ribbon around this one's neck so that you can... No, I'm serious. You could put a pink ribbon or a blue ribbon so people could have make a, a connection to the identity of the animal. Interesting. So you want to put a, yeah, a, they may, a gender on it. Well, not specifically, but by, by, you know, by color. Hey, listen, i got to get going. Let me, let me know when this goes... Uh, goes public. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Love you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. To learn more about The Gerontologist and to read its latest articles, visit the journal website at geron.org. The Gerontological Society of America was founded in 1945 to promote the scientific study of aging to encourage exchanges among researchers and practitioners from the various disciplines related to gerontology, and to foster the use of gerontological research informing public policy.